You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So we're in Matthew 13. Thank you for your prayers. Had a really good time at Sojourn Carlisle. Uh, It was a joy to be at their church preaching uh, there, man. God's doing some really neat and unique things. Um, just uh, a real blessing to see the, the people that God's putting together there. Uh, it was sort of an emotional time for me, and I won't get into all the emotional stuff, but one of it is, is my dad used to be the minister of music at a church just down the road from there called Victor Memorial Baptist Church, and literally, I think the same people that put together that church put Sojourn and Carl out together. It's like identical blueprints, and so it, it raised up all kinds of emotion uh, during that time, but I was really thankful to have an opportunity to go and, and preach, so thank you for your prayers, and, and Josh, thanks for filling in. Uh, last week. So we're going we're gonna to read verses 24 uh, down to verse 30, but we're looking at the whole, 24 to 44, because that's, that's, the, that's the whole of this passage that Matthew's given to us. Uh, but I just want to read the first six verses here. So hear the word of the Lord. Jesus presented another parable to them, and he said this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while the people were sleeping, uh, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. And when the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. Landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? And the servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Really important distinction there. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask right now that you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things that are in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think one of the uh, hardest questions to kind of answer in the context of relationships, and it doesn't really matter what kind of relationship it is. It could be your spouse. It could be a really close friend. Uh, it can be, a, you know, a relationship between a parent and a child. And that question is this, um, are you listening? <laughs> you ever been there? Like, it, it get, everything gets quiet, and they're looking at you. Are you, are you listening to me? And then you go, and, and the reason why it's a difficult question is because you, you just got caught, right? I mean, you try to play it off. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm listening to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I got you. And then they'll say something like, well, what would I say? Uh, well, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm missing a few details, kind of remind me, right? You know, it's like you just got caught. I mean, we, we human beings, including me, obviously, because I'm a human being, obviously, duh, um, we have mastered the art of listening but not really listening, of hearing but not really hearing. Amen? Can I just get one amen in here? We have. It, we're really, really good at that, especially guys. I mean, I, I don't want to throw us under the bus, but... Guys have mastered that art to where we can shake our heads and we have no idea what that individual is talking about or saying. It's going in one ear and out the other. I don't know about you guys, but my wife and I have de- developed or, or you know, built this kind of philosophy of parenting 
that has this mindset of like the more words we use, eventually one of those words is going to catch. Thanks for a little bit of snickering because it doesn't work. Amen, right? I mean, I've only been parenting for 20 years and I still don't have a clue what I'm doing. And every day I get up, I'm going, I am so clueless about what it means to parent my kids. And I was being obviously sarcastic because we do kind of lecture our kids all the time with that mindset, even though we know it doesn't work, that if I could just kind of keep saying words, 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 eventually they're going to catch one. And what they've mastered is what I've mastered when I was a child and shake your head. Yeah, dad, you're right, dad. I'm really sorry. It's my fault. I'll never do this again. I mean, they're not hearing anything. They're listening, but not really listening. Uh, the reason why I talk about this, and Josh did a good job kind of unpacking this last week, is I do think that uh, this whole chapter of chapter 13 is about hearing. I mean, Jesus is exposing also that we can hear without really hearing. We can listen without really listening. It's a theme that he brings out through this whole chapter. He saw last week at the end of the parable of the soils or sower, however you want to entitle that. In verse 9, it says what? said, so let anyone who has ears listen. And then again, he repeats it. So this, this little section we're looking at today goes from 24 all the way to 43. And so he ends that section with the same thing. Let anyone who has ears listen. So anytime there's repetition, there's an emphasis. So Jesus is um, wanting us to examine, are, are you really hearing me? Are you, are you listening? I think what he wants us to see here or what he wants us to hear from this section of parables is this, is that life with God, life with God in his kingdom will not be what you expect. Life with God and the kingdom of God will not be what you expect. All of us in this room, whenever we enter into a relationship, whether it's a relationship with a, with a friend, a relationship with a spouse, you're coming in with expectations. You're coming in with assumptions, right? And you're doing the same thing when you enter into a relationship with God. That's what I mean by life with God. I'm talking about entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Every single one of us come in with expectations and we're making all these assumptions of how you think it's going to be. And usually those assumptions and expectations get exposed when you enter into a season of suffering and difficulty. And you'll say things like this, I'm a Christian, I didn't think you would get depressed. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I love God, I didn't think I would really struggle with anxiety. I'm a Christian, I really didn't think it would be really hard in my family relationships, I thought they would just get a lot better. Everyone in my family really says they're followers of Jesus, why is it so hard to have a relationship with them? They're driving me crazy. Are you following me? Like there's this, and I've said this before, it's kind of like this, what I call dissonance, where you have this sort of expectation about God and what you think it's going to be like, and then you have reality and they don't match. And it creates frustration, it creates confusion, it makes you wonder if this thing is for real. I mean, even on a more deeper level, even more of a, uh, an issue of the problem of evil, that's really, really hard to kind of talk about and unpack. But we, we know that God is good. We know that he's powerful. We know that he's all wise. We know that he hates evil. But then we look out into our world and we're going, oh, man, that doesn't make sense. Like, what in the world? Why would he, 
Why would he allow this? Why would he do this? Why would he let this happen? It just, it, it just creates a lot of disconnect for us and confusion and questions and wondering if God is who he says he is. I mean, I don't know how you're rolling in this morning. I, I don't know what your week is like. And, but I think I'm probably hitting on maybe some of you in this room. Some of you might be walking in here going, I, God, I just don't understand you. You're an absolute mystery. This is kind of what I expected. This is what I thought you are going to do. And you're doing almost the very opposite of that. And so what I think... As crazy as this may sound, I'll get there, I'll show you. What I think is happening in this parable is he's trying to help us kind of be awakened to these assumptions and expectations that we bring in to this relationship with God, life with him in his kingdom, and he's trying to help us see that, wow, these are really off. And you actually need to kind of align your expectations with what I'm showing you in your word, or in his word. So it's interesting, in this chapter, um, this is one of five major teaching blocks of Matthew. Really interesting how Matthew puts his book together. And so this is the third major teaching block uh, for Matthew. And what he does here, this is fascinating, shows you he's, he's a creative writer. He has taken seven parables of Jesus and put them all in one chapter. And all, that's on purpose. It's not accidental. He's not sitting back going, yeah, this is a cool parable. We'll put it here, here. No, he's, he's putting all seven of these in this chapter for a purpose and a reason. He's trying to teach something by the way he's put it together. And we'll get to the, more of that next week. But last week, we looked at the lead-in parable. The first parable we talked about is the parable of the soils or the sower. And that's to influence the rest of the six parables that are left in this chapter. And the next six parables are divided up into two sets of three. Fascinating what we see here. So set one is what we're looking at today. You've got a longer parable. I just read it, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. You've got two little short parables, or even like, maybe they wouldn't even be called parables. It might be called similes, where it says the, mustard, the kingdom of God is, is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven. And then he explains kind of what parables are. And then he comes back and explains the longer parable. So, Long parable, two short parables, and then explains. That's set number one. Set number two, which we'll come back and look at next week, he reverses the order. It's fascinating. Look at it when you get home. Two short little parables that are about merchant, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, remember those? Two little short parables, and then a long parable and the explanation of a long parable. And so what Matthew's trying to do here is, yes, there's meaning and each of these little parables, and you could spend some time unpacking that meaning, all right, which we're going to look at here in just a few minutes, one of the sets there we're going to look at. But there's also something he's trying to teach holistically, and we'll get more into that next week. But I just want us to look at this first set where he opens up with a parable, wheat and weeds, two small parables, and then he explains what the parable of the wheat and weeds is. And all of these uh, come together or Maybe a better way of saying this, the theme that runs through all of them is the kingdom of heaven. So we saw it in the beginning here, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. You see this over and over in these six parables. And I just want to make sure we're all on the same page when we think about kingdom. Uh, because this is where it, gets a, it can get a little squirrely for us if we're not understanding what Jesus is talking about when he talks about kingdom language here. 
So I don't, I don't know what your background is, and um, I don't know where you're kind of coming from as far as your church experience, but all of us come in with a background, all right? Even if you call yourself not a Christian, there's, there's stuff you understand about God or have heard about God. So we all kind of come in with sort of, quote-unquote, baggage a little bit. Uh, not, not all bad, amen? So maybe some bad. Could be really bad. But all of us come in with a little bit of, of baggage here. Uh, and, and specifically, I think, within this understanding of kingdom, some of us may believe that the main message that Jesus came and spoke is this, that he's come to die for your sins so that if you would put your trust in him, when you die, you can go to heaven. That's what some of us may believe is the number one message of Jesus and what he did here. Now, before you think I'm a heretic or something, that is an important message. And yes, in part, he did come speaking about that. But the primary message that Jesus came announcing was the kingdom. When he came up on the scene, this is what he said first. Repent and believe because, the say it out loud, the kingdom is at hand. And so when we think about kingdom, guys, it is the range of God's effective will where what he wants done is done. It's it's life with God. That's the language we kind of use around here. It's life with God under the, the reign, rule, or another word you can use is management of God. And so that's kingdom language, is what does life look like when God's in charge? And that's what Jesus has come to usher in. I love how um, Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, kind of explains this kingdom aspect here. Uh, and I got a couple quotes I'll read to you. Uh, this kingdom is not primarily something that is in the hearts of men. It is there, but it's not primarily just about that. That kingdom may be there, but it's not just confined there to the inner world of humans through their faith and allegiance to Christ. It always pervades and governs the whole of the physical universe. Part of the planet, planet Earth occupied by humans and other personal beings, a satanic slightly accepted for a while. So, another place here he goes on, so when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he does not mean we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven. And so what Jesus is trying to help us see here, because every Jewish hearer, when he would say the kingdom of heaven is like, they all had an understanding of what that is. They all had an expectation. And that expectation and that assumption was off. It was wrong. And so part of what he's doing, even in chapter 13, is he's, he's trying to help them see, get a get a more clear and accurate understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's using all different kinds of ways so that he can see different aspects about this kingdom. And that's what he's doing here with the wheat and the weeds. He starts this off by saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared. And then he goes on and tells this story of a farmer that goes out and sows his seed, sows wheat, plants that really well, and then overnight, here comes an enemy, 
that sows a bunch of weeds in the field and they begin to grow together and the servants are shocked. Where in the world did this come from? Like, who came and sowed some weed in, in the midst of your wheat? And the owner of the land said, well, an enemy came and did this. And so the servant said, well, let's go out there and pull it all up. And they said, no, no don't do that. Because if you pull up the, the weeds, you're also going to injure the wheat. Now, the weed that he's talking about here is something that's very common in this time. It's, it's a weed that's called, I think it's called darnel. I think that's how you would say that. It's similar to dandelions today. It's just annoying. You know, it's the bane of, you know, Middle, Middle Eastern agriculture in this time. Just like dandelions are nasty and they make you dry heave when you see them. Amen. They're, they're a result of the fall. Someday, no more dandelions. Amen. Maybe that's my issues that I'm still working through with dandelions. But here's the thing with this weed is that... Um, when it starts to grow, you can't tell the difference. It looks really, it looks a lot like wheat. And so they can't go out there and pull them up because they can't really tell the difference. They've got to let them grow together. But the problem with them growing together is as they grow, the, the roots of the weed get entangled within the wheat. That, that's why the master said, no, don't go pull the wheat up right now because if you do that, you're also going to pull the wheat and we're going to lose our harvest. So what they have to do is they have to wait till harvest time and do the painstaking work of, of separating them. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a lot of work. So you cut the whole field and you separate them in two batches. You got the weed and you got the wheat. Weed, you then go and take and burn up because it also can be really poisonous and, and, and destroy the weed and tamper pasta and all kinds of stuff. I don't know if they made pasta. Maybe they did. But, but you know, they, then they would keep the wheat and store it into barns. And so here's the thing. This is a story that everyone knew. Like, this was normal life for them. Like, this happened to them all the time. You know, Joe would go and plant wheat, and, and Chucky down the road has a beef with Joe, and the middle of the night goes and throws in some wheat in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is not like a made-up story. Everyone is relating to it. It would be like, um, you know, it'd be like if I was up here and I said, um, yeah, this week I was, you know, going to a meeting, and I was running a little bit behind. I was on Gene Snyder. And all of a sudden, I saw a bunch of red lights. All of us would be familiar with that story, amen? Like, the Gene Snyder is constantly backed up. It's just part of it, except on Sundays usually or in the middle of the night. Like, it's just, it's the worst interstate that Louisville's ever made, amen, right? So they got to, okay, that's issues of God. But everyone can relate to that story. But when I tell you that story i'm driving down gene snyder and i saw a bunch of red lights you're waiting for more you're waiting for like okay well did you get off the exit did you like you know go the back way did you run down the the emergency line? i mean you're you're just waiting for a little more you're kind of like okay what what happened and that's exactly what these people are waiting for Jesus goes, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a guy going out and sowing a field of wheat. And someone comes and does some weeds and blah, 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 blah. And they're waiting for a punchline. And there's nothing. Nothing. I mean, I don't know. I may be speculating a little bit here, but sometimes you want to use your imaginations. You kind of wonder, like, I wonder what the disciples are doing now. You know, he shares this story, and they're like, what has happened to him? Three months ago, he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Man, really clear, direct, man. If you, 
If you lust, gouge out your eye. That's pretty clear. If you steal, cut off your hand. You know, man, yeah, th- those are all metaphorical things. But it was pretty clear and direct. Now he's telling these stories. And like, all right, let's give him a hand, guys. Yeah, thanks for that, right? It just seems really odd and strange and hard to understand. That's where our Western mindset when it comes to parables, we think there were, there were stories that Jesus gave that really connected to the audience, that really understood it. No, they didn't. They were always confused. And in fact, as we saw last week, which is kind of troubling, he actually spoke in parables to keep those people who refused to listen in the dark. He didn't speak in parables to make it easier for them to understand. He spoke in parables to make it harder for them to understand. And here he gets this weed in the weeds, and they're going, I don't know. And then he goes and talks about the mustard seed and then the leaven and saying the mustard seed and the leaven is comparable to the kingdom of heaven. And that would have been offensive to most people there. Because their thing in the kingdom of heaven is just like, we're going to come and dominate people, take over Rome, boom, you know, shock and awe. A little mustard seed? That's what it's like? That's offensive to them. They're all confused. They don't know what's going on. And then look what happens here in verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples approached him. And they said this, uh, Jesus, uh, can you explain to us what the parable of the weeds in the field mean? It felt like there was more to the story, but we're not really sure what's going on. And so what does he do? From verses 37 through 44, he explains to them what this parable is. And as we get into it, we realize that this is not some kind of little insignificant story. It's actually kind of a big deal. He's explaining to us what's going to happen at the end of the world. That's pretty big. And what Jesus does here is he does um, what we would call an allegorical interpretation of this parable where each element of the parable is given an analogy to the real world. Now I want to caution you here. You've got to be careful of you doing that with parables. You can, it can get a little squirrely and, and weird really fast if you try to give an allegorical interpretation to the parables. Jesus can because it's his story, right? It's like, all right, if Jesus does it, then we can understand it allegorically. Otherwise, I'm going to try to get what the main idea is behind a parable and not try to allegorize every single thing because that can get really messy really quick but this is what jesus does here in explaining the weed and the wheat look what he does here starting in verse 37 he replied the one who sows the good seed is the son of man who's the son of man not trick question you can say it out loud what you would give answer to for every question in sunday school amen jesus it's his favorite way of describing himself he gets this out of the book of daniel so he replied, the son, the one who sows the good seed is, is himself, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. Now, who in the world are the children of the kingdom? Well, we find out a little bit later in this parable, it's the children of, of God the Father. 
And who are the children of God the Father? It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on race. It's based on what people do in response to Jesus. Jesus is redefining the people of God. It's not just Jews anymore. This is brand new news for these people. He's redefining the, the people of God. And the people of God are those who have responded in repentance and faith toward the message and work of Jesus. That's who the children of the kingdom here are. He goes on. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So, so, so right here, guys, I, I'm not doing this. This is Jesus. He has divided the world into two groups. And that's all there is. There's not a middle road. There's not a middle ground. There's two groups. There's, and it's not good people and bad people. One group is those who have, who have heard the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, repented and put their faith and trust in him. And in that moment, when that happens, you now become a child of God. Your status changes. As Paul says in Colossians, you are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. That's one group of people. And anyone else who has not responded to repentance and faith to this message and work of Jesus, this is Jesus saying this, not Lyle. You're the son of the devil. Your father's the evil one. And I know, man, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's not how you kind of describe yourself, right? You don't walk around going, I'm the son of the devil. That's who I, like, no. But this is what Jesus is saying. He divides the world into two groups, and they're, based, they're defined based on their response to the message and work of Jesus. He goes on. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the of the age. Here's what I want you to see here. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to get us get across here. The weed and the wheat coexist. They're not separated until the end of the age. So the sons of King Jesus and the sons of the devil, they they coexist. They are here together. Both of them grow together. Both kingdoms are present as dallas willard says to kind of give even more understanding of what's going on here he says this persons other than god such as you or i are still allowed on earth to have a say that is contrary to his will a kingdom of darkness is here certainly and the kingdom of many individuals are still are, who are still trying to run their own show all of this god permits the weed and the wheat coexist in this in-between period. Why, Lyle? I don't know. I mean, we can speculate. We can read other New Testament letters and see that a big reason why is God is patient with everyone, not wanting anyone to perish. But in this parable, the only verse that Jesus does not give an interpretation to is verse 29, where it says, don't go pull them up yet. Let them remain. Let them both grow together. And a part of what I think Jesus is trying to help us see is that with this knowledge that wheat and weeds coexist together, it needs to shape and form our expectation of what the kingdom of God is like and what life in the kingdom will be like. 
It has to shape our assumptions and bring to light some of these assumptions that are really off and wrong. And all I'm trying to say here is that maybe because weed and we coexist, it may look like the kingdom of heaven is failing. It may feel like God's not doing anything. It may look like God's just kind of given a wink and a pass for all the evil and wickedness that's going on in our world. So it can give the assessment or the expectation that, wow, it sounds like the kingdom is supposed to be sort of conquering and that good is supposed to be conquering over evil, but boy, it sure looks like it's the very opposite. And that's why Jesus has these two little small parables in between the parable of the wheat and weeds and the explanation of it. Because the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts off really small. I mean, it's hard to see without a microscope. The kingdom is like yeast. Really small. Someone insignificant. But in the end, there's a certainty that, yes, it has a small beginning, but everyone will see its impact. Yes, it has a very small beginning like leaven, but everyone will experience the influence that it will have throughout the entire world. So, yes, in this in-between, we may feel dis, a little disconnect. We may experience some dissonance. We may know this is true about God, but our experience is not matching up. And the reason why is because the wheat and weeds coexist. The kingdom of God has come, but not in full. And that has to shape our expectation, and it's got to expose some assumptions that we make about life with God and his kingdom in this in-between time. And then look how Jesus ends this in verses 41 through 43. He says this, and this is really sobering, guys. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. So this is how I want to end just real quick here. Um, I think these two verses here at the end of this parable give us a promise and a warning. A promise and a warning. The promise is this. For those of us that are here who are in Christ, and when I use that language, um, I'm just trying to give different uh, vocabulary to what it means to be a Christian. So whenever you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's, your status changes. You, you're now in him. He is your king. He's clothed you with his righteousness. You are now in Christ. And so if that is you, here's the promise. Be encouraged. And may this even empower you. Your future is joy. 
Your future is joy. Look what he says. This is, this is, where, this is what's coming for you. Look what he said here in verse, uh, verse 43. Then the righteous... And then this is not like talking about good people. These are those who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This is not your righteousness. These are those who are put a trust in Jesus' righteousness. And if you've done that, that's you. He's talking about you. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. So here's your future. Here's where you're going. You are going to shine. The, the, or another way of putting this, this true self of you. That, that God has started doing a work in, this new creation that every once in a while in this world and in this time kind of peeks out, right? Every once in a while you say, oh my goodness, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not in some kind of self-righteous, oh look how amazing I am. No, but in a humble way you begin to see this new creation kind of breaking out and you go oh my you're humbled by it and then at the same time joy comes to you that God is doing his work in you and you get a taste of that and there's coming a day where that will be in full display that you are going to be as bright as the sun as we have today amen and when you walk outside, and hopefully you will, because it's going to be a beautiful day, and by Tuesday, I'll probably be in the 30s, for crying out loud. But as you walk out in the 60-degree weather, envision this. This is your future. You're going to be as bright as the sun. You're going to be made into the very image of God. You're going to look like God the Father. Your true self is going to come out in full display. And your future is joy because any time we experience that now, it brings joy and gladness in our own heart. And so look, 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 you may come in here really discouraged. You might be. You might be one that's going, ah, I just thought I would be further along than I am right now. Or maybe you kind of should and ought yourself to death, which we all have a tendency to do that. I shouldn't be struggling with the same sins that I'm struggling with now. I shouldn't be, you know, getting the same frustrations that I am right now. I, I shouldn't be having such hard, difficult relationships. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Why is this so difficult? Well, listen to me. Like, take the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven and put it on a micro level. It starts off small. It starts off little bitty. And it's a, it's a continual work that God is doing in you. And you're right, there might be seasons where you might look at it and go, I don't see God doing anything in me, but listen to me, He is. He who began a good work in you, as Philippians says, or as Paul says in Philippians, will complete it to the end. It will happen. And that responsibility is not on your shoulders. It's fully on the shoulders of God. Yes, you've got work to do, but listen to me. That responsibility is on his shoulders. He is going to complete the work that he started out to do. And there's coming a day where your true self is going to shine forth and it's going to bring great joy in your life. So be encouraged. And may this encouragement empower you. Your future is joy. So be patient. Remain faithful. That's the promise. Secondly, the warning is this. 
and this is hard. You know, I, you know, I like for people to feel good. I do. I'm just, that's part of my issues. You know, I don't like people walking away feeling bad because of their conversation with me or even when I preach a sermon. But this is the truth that's in this, in this passage. If you're not in Christ, hear and heed the warning. Your future is judgment. I don't know if you listened to the words, the song we sang at the beginning, but I might be butchering it a little bit, uh, but it, it basically said, uh, you either fall on the rock or the rock will fall on you. You either fall on the rock of Jesus, capital R, or the rock of Jesus will fall on you. Translation, you either accept the judgment that Jesus paid for your sins and your rebellion you'll suffer the judgment of your sins and your rebellion under God's wrath. If you are not in Christ, your future is judgment. But listen to me. It doesn't have to be. It's the goodness of God. He's not eradicating all evil. He's not. He's letting the weed and weeds to, grow, to coexist and they grow together. He's patient. This is an age that's marked by invitation for you that are, who are not in Christ can receive him and hide under the judgment that God exhausted upon his son so that you can escape the wrath that's going to come. If you're not in Christ, your future is judgment, but please hear me, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I think all of us in this room... Um, were moved in some capacity when they found out last week about Kobe Bryant's death, his tragic death. I mean, absolutely um, horrible. 41 years old. Daughter was 13, and I don't know, seven others or five others also uh, were killed in this helicopter. I mean, just tragic. And I tried to sit down, and um, this always doesn't work with my family, uh, try to have a little conversation about this with our boys, and you know, I don't know. It's always chaos, and so I don't know if you guys feel that sometimes when you're trying to like have a sort of a serious conversation, and when you get kids in middle school, you just might as well give it up. Amen. It's like there's going to be fart, burp, boogers. You pass gas, you smell. There's going to be something weird like that. So, so sometimes you just kind of persevere through it and say, okay, God, maybe, maybe you, they heard something. I don't know. But here's all I was trying to say with this, and I'm trying to say it in, even in my own life. In Psalm 90, Moses says, um, teach us to number our days. And I think in part what, what Moses is trying to help us see in Psalm 90 is that God, by God's good, gracious kindness, um, there are ways that he kind of awakens us to this reality that every single one of us is going to die and no one in this room knows the number of our days. No one. But we live and assume we do. And as tragic as these, as these deaths were, hear the warning. The writer of Hebrews says, death, then judgment. And God, by his grace, has given you space right now to receive the invitation. 
to receive the invitation. Go give your life to Jesus. Receive him. Your future does not have to be judgment. Do not assume anything. You don't know the numbers of your days. If you're not in Christ, your future, it's judgment, but it doesn't have to be. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.